When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Bird Shop Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we're back with Cody Simons of Sitka Gear. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 254. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. In just a moment, we're going to jump back into our conversation with Cody Simons of Sitka Gear, transitioning a little bit from bird dogs and double guns into a little bit more apparel and gear-related stuff, but plenty more to come with Cody. But just a couple of quick mentions first. Thanks to, of course, Patreon patrons of the Bird Shop Podcast, those of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show to keep these conversations coming your way. Patrons are eligible for giveaways, some bonus content, and some Bird Trap Podcast cam coolers and stickers. You can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Don't forget, you can always use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. And one last thing before we jump back in with Cody, which is somewhat relevant to our conversation today. It'll come up in my conversation with Cody, but I'm staring out the window. It finally looks like winter here in Duluth, Minnesota been waiting and waiting for it although i wasn't exactly begging for it to show up until the rough grouse season officially closed in wisconsin last sunday did get out for one more hunt before all was said and done and i could not have asked for a better day in the woods it was as enjoyable as i imagine it could be on january 5th walking around in the grouse woods with just a dusting of snow temps were i don't remember they were in the 30s i was warm and we saw lots of birds Got some dog work, got a couple shot opportunities, and saw plenty more birds fly away, which is always a good thing this time of year. And now we are on the brink of our first real stretch of really cold weather here in grouse country, which had me a little nervous, still does, I guess, but we did get some much-needed snow this week. Probably, I don't know, six inches of fluff at least a couple different snowfalls and it was snowing today and so the woods are at least snow covered and there seems to be some insulation out there for the birds. I talked to Jerry Havel of Pine Ridge Grouse Camp earlier today. He echoed the same thing, got some snow coverage over there as well, so that was good. It's not perfect when we're looking at a week of sub-zero temps, but at least it's something for all those birds that are still out there in the woods. Anyways, that's the report from Grouse Country. And with that in mind, I wanted to mention, I put up a post on Instagram a couple of weeks ago now, actually, really when I was expecting to be hunting in more cold weather, 
looking for cold weather shooting gloves, which is, as I found out, a common consideration for folks. Uh, upland seasons run into the late season, and oftentimes, this year probably being uh, one of the biggest exceptions, uh, oftentimes we're hunting in much colder weather towards the latter end of the season. But this season was so mild that my usual struggles with cold hands, cold fingers on the shotgun were a lot less of an issue this year, which I was not complaining about. But anyways, I, again, Cody and I will talk about this a little bit on the episode, but I wanted to just mention that I got a bunch of feedback from folks when I put that poll up on Instagram. Now it wasn't a poll, actually. I was just asking for cold weather glove recommendations, which, you know, we can't wear big puffy mittens and, and have our hands in hand muffs which kind of solves the cold hands problem. We got to be gripping the shotguns and be ready to shoot and that sort of thing. And I think that I have Renaud syndrome. Hope I'm saying that right. I've never been diagnosed or anything, but it seems to be what I struggle with where my hands kind of almost unpredictably, I mean, it happens because of the cold, but it's can kind of come on in a hurry and it just, your fingers kind of lose circulation sensitivity and my hands are basically worthless. And the only way out of it for me is to basically really warm my hands up inside of a hand muff or something or to get my circulation going enough to where it kind of pump seems to pump the blood back in my fingertips and then I'll be good. So for me it, it's the beginning of the hunt where I'm gripping the steel, the barrels and that sort of thing and my hands will go numb and then it's kind of this battle of trying to warm the hands up, get circulated enough to where they come back to life if if that makes sense and i heard from a lot of people that struggle from the same thing it doesn't seem to be an uncommon problem and again i don't i've never been diagnosed so i don't really know the specifics of it all other than what the symptoms appear to be for me and anyways with shooting gloves you're looking for something that is relatively thin that can maintain dexterity but can potentially insulate you and warm you up. And I thought for a while, and it still may be the case, that maybe eventually a heated glove, kind of like a really heated glove, eliminates this problem. I, I've experimented a little bit. I think one pair of heated gloves that I bought, I was trying to buy a thin pair, and they're kind of a liner glove, and they do work, but the heat that they pump out is not incredible, and the wind kind of goes right through those gloves as I they're kind of meant to be a liner. So maybe that was my mistake, but that didn't seem to be a real solution. They're also kind of a pain. The battery is on on your, it's like a big cuff and the battery's under your wrist. And I don't know, it's not a perfect solution yet. I've seen some other pairs of heated gloves that maybe would be worth trying. But again, this year just wasn't that big of a factor for me. So I did ask for recommendations. And as you'll hear on the episode today, the most recommended glove was the Sitka Gunner Glove, which is a leather shooting glove with a Gore-Tex Infinium membrane, which is basically a windproof membrane inside the glove. So it's a leather shooting glove with a windproof membrane. And that was the most often recommended pair of gloves I got from all of the Instagram followers that responded to that. And I did, in fact, get a pair. Cody sent me a pair that I was able to utilize on a number of hunts late season. And my experience with them was positive. They were, they're certainly more glove than my everyday leather glove, leather shooting glove that I wear every day, whether it's 70 degrees or down to about 30 degrees. And that's kind of the cutoff for me. The probably upper 20s, I could probably get away with my leather shooting gloves, knowing that the beginning of the hunt is I'm going to have cold hands. But after having utilized the Sitka Gunner gloves, you've got pretty good dexterity. There's minimal dexterity loss, I would say, compared to my regular leather shooting gloves. But the one-proof membrane does seem to help. And that was also something that was recommended to me by a couple of folks in the, the glove, cold weather shooting glove poll, was look for something windproof because that will help. And I think it does. So anyways, the Sitka Gunner glove worked for me. I used them a handful of times. And they were an improvement over some of the other stuff I had been using. Again, I don't know that there is a, there's a solution for me that completely eliminates the problem, but it definitely was lessened in using the Sitka Gunner glove. So I was, I was pleased by that. I also got a lot of recommendations for Hestra gloves. That's H-E-S-T-R-A, which I've seen before. They're kind of a skiing glove. Uh, they seem to be a reputable quality product 
manufacturer. I don't own any Hester gloves, but I have looked at them before, I think for skiing, but they have lots of different options. And those were, I think, a clear second best recommendation uh, as far as number of responses for Hester gloves. That was kind of the clear second place holder in that poll that I did. So I've not purchased any Hestra gloves yet. I may look at them, but now that I think hunting season has pretty much wound down for me, specifically cold weather hunting, it's not on the top of the priority list at this point, but Hester gloves were also recommended quite a bit. The other glove that I did purchase was, uh, again, uh, a former guest of the show, Jordan Wilcher. We've had him on talking chucker hunting and fitness, if you'll recall. Jordan was a big advocate. He said he suffered from similar cold hands. Again, I don't know that anybody's immune to it, maybe. Um, actually our guest today, Cody Simons doesn't sound like he had too many issues with cold hands, but anyways, Jordan recommended, uh, anything with Gore-Tex Infinium being the windproof membrane and then a hand warmer on the back of the hands inside the gloves. If you can fit it in there, that was kind of the best he could do. So I did go out and purchase a pair of mittens that I think I found these on my own. I don't recall actually they're made by Gore actually a parent company of Sitka, which I recently learned. And they are a winter mountain biking glove, as best I can tell. We have a lot of mountain biking trails around here. See lots of people out riding the fat bike tires. I've thought about doing myself. I don't have one yet, but I guess now I have a pair of gloves that I could use. They are essentially a relatively low-profile mitten that has your index finger, or aka trigger finger, separated from the other three. So you got your middle ring and pinky fingers in one, they're kind of like the lobster claw mitts. If you're familiar with those, you see them on a lot of cross-country skiing gloves. This one puts your three fingers together and your index finger or trigger finger, which the purpose of these gloves, it's so you can use the shifters on your mountain bike, fat tire bike. And they have the windproof membrane, which is important when you're riding a bike in the winter and your hands are up on the handlebars and taking all that wind. So I figured I would give those a try. I went out and found them kind of on sale. It was around I think it was around Black Friday, and I grabbed those. They were not cheap, but they were discounted at least, so I bought those. I don't even know, some random website. Bought them, and I only used them once, but they did, in fact, work. So when I went out that one day, I bet it was mid-20s. We had just got a little bit of snow, actually. Mid-20s, I went out. I wore those gloves, those Gore mittens, for the first part of my hunt. I ran Hartley. And my plan was to run him for 45 minutes to maybe an hour. And we kind of did a little short out and back. And not a lot happened. But at about the furthest point out away from the truck we were planning to go, hardly went on point. I walked in, saw the grouse on the ground. It flushed, gave me a nice opportunity. And I wasn't even really thinking about the mittens, but I threw that 28-gauge up and down came the grouse. So I successfully bagged a grouse with those mittens. So that was a good first test of those. And by the time I got back to the truck, we kind of basically headed back after that good bird contact and had one in the bag and went back to get Rose to run out the rest of our daylight that day. And by the time I got back to the truck, my hands were heated up at that point. I think you know somewhat due to the mittens, but somewhat due to hiking and getting the circulation going. So that's kind of a normal rhythm for us. And when I got back to the truck, I swapped those mittens out for the Sitka Gunner gloves, and I wore the Sitka Gunner gloves the rest of the day without issue with good, relatively warm and, and circulating hands. So that seemed to be a pretty good combo for me. And if a cold weather hunting opportunity presented itself again, which I imagine it will, maybe might not be till next season, but that will probably be my go-to tandem of gloves. Kind of an expensive set of cold weather shooting gloves if you're going to go out and buy those two pairs of gloves, but they are two quality products that I would recommend if you're interested in something like that. And the last thing I will mention, which is probably the most interesting and clever recommendation that I got, and a lot less expensive if you just were looking to try something, but I got a recommendation from somebody that he was told, I think by a doctor or something, I don't, heat the blood going to your hands, not your hands. So the advice he was given was to take an old wool sock or something, if you've got a wristband or something, and cut that off. So you just have a cuff, basically like a wrist cuff, slip that over your hand, put it around your wrist, and then slip a disposable hand warmer inside 
that cuff on the inside of your wrist. So you're heating the blood in your veins, in your wrist, that are going to your hands and fingertips. And if nothing else, I thought that sounded like the coolest hack. And so I, I immediately went downstairs, found a pair of wool socks. I was not really using a thin pair of wool socks and cut those off. And I only tried this a couple times and I wish I could say it worked as well as how cool it sounds, but it was not anything mind-blowing. I'll, I'll say that. I, I don't think it hurt and I think it probably did benefit me. But again, Given the conditions this late season, I just I didn't really put any of this stuff through extensive testing with enough frequency to really say one way or the other. So uh, next week's going to be really cold. I'll probably experiment with that a little bit while I'm just out walking the dogs and hopefully packing our snowshoe trails as we're just about have enough snow to start doing that. And I'll keep experimenting. I don't know. I thought that was a cool piece of advice. He said he used that a lot for ice fishing and very simple to get something to go around your wrist and just grab a, some disposable hand warmers, slip those in. That would be worth trying, I think, if you were really looking for a solution here. So that's the cold weather shooting glove slash cold hands synopsis. And if you're hearing this and didn't see the Instagram thing and you've got other recommendations or anything like that, feel free to chime in and email those to me, nick at birdshotpodcast.com. I did get some other recommendations. There are some good good quality gloves out there that other listeners have seen and used and Again, we're, I don't know that there is a perfect solution that completely eliminates the problem, but there's some, there's some good products out there that can at least help and or mitigate the issue. And again, Cody and I will talk about it a little bit on the second half of our conversation today. With that said, let's jump back in and finish up our conversation with Cody Simons. Now, I did want to ask you, you mentioned the, I love the 7 8 ounce load coming out of the 16 gauge. Uh, what are your, what's your shot side? That's your, that's kind of your, your hunt load you're referring to? <clears throat> yeah, I, I actually shoot most things with it. Um, it's seven and a half, uh, definitely more so for huns and, and shark tails and stuff, what I primarily set out for. Um, yeah. I just got some sevens though that I haven't messed with. But I just got a bag of sevens okay. that I think yep. will be pretty cool too. Um, but yeah, I shoot seven and a halfs a lot. Um, I don't pheasant hunt much as it is. I've shot pheasants with seven and a halfs. Usually I'll shoot like a six or something um, if I've got them. But uh, yeah, seven and a halfs going, like I said, pretty slow. They're like 11.25 or 11.30 or something like that. Yep. So pretty light rule. That, seven, eight ounce, that's seven relatively slow compared to what <clears throat> many people might be shooting. But that's kind of the 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 point of it all is nice light lesser payloads you know smaller payload than the gauge even is set up right. for running at slow speeds and you're doing just fine with it your guns are taking less abuse you're taking less abuse uh, it's not always about bigger faster stronger when it comes to shotgunning yeah and i've actually i need to get actually i just realized that i actually have a three-quarter ounce charge bar and i would like mm -hmm. to load after shooting a 28 so much and realizing that it's perfectly effective with three-quarters ounce shot um yep <clears throat> that loading a three-quarter ounce in the 16 gauge would probably be pretty cool and less recoil less everything and probably pattern Even pretty less, neat yeah. too yeah yeah i I've, I've, you know, I think once you once you get once you realize the effectiveness of those lesser maybe that's kind of the eye opener i mean i guess it was for me um, when i started shooting my 28 gauge and just realizing that like i wasn't really giving up anything in the shots that I was choosing to take and how I, how I go about it. Um, the three quarter right. ounces of shot is, is plenty. And so that's, that's kind of an eye opener. Um, yeah. And anytime you go, you lessen the payload for, for that gauge, you in theory increase patterning efficiency and there's some things to be gained, but I don't know how significant it is real world. Not that you can't shoot standard payloads, but yeah, I just, I appreciate sort of experimenting in that direction versus the other direction. For sure. Yep. I've in the seven, yeah, the that's really load that I'm shooting right now is patterning patterning very neat out of both the sixteens that I have. Um so yeah. I don't have a whole lot of reason to change, but I don't know, something makes me wanna make it lighter. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well again, the, <laughs> you're a, it sounds like you're a little bit of a tinkerer, so I, I don't think that yeah. comes as any surprise. Yep. 
for sure. I do have everything set up very neatly well, on the press right now where like my stack height and, and like the crimps are looking nice on my load. So I probably don't need to go mess with it, but I probably will anyways. That what I uh, was, what loader do you have? Just the cheap, uh, what is it? A mech, like a 600, the junior mark four. The like junior. Just okay. the, the, yeah. The, okay. the, the, the like most basic one you can get it. Single stage loader. Most yeah. basic from mech anyhow, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I think it's, okay. I think it's, yeah. I don't know a, uh, a whole lot about that. I think I've got a, I'm going to have to talk to a couple guys and maybe do a podcast on sort of basics, but I've got, <laughs> Mine's similar. Mine's the Size Master. I don't. I don't even know what the difference is between the Size Master and the Junior, but I think they're kind of similar. Um, yeah. But I got mine set up with the help of one of my kind of grouse hunting mentors around here, and have not touched it other than the basic setup, and um, haven't even really got into looking at like how to fine tune, tailor, and tweak it. Maybe that'll be an off season thing. But uh, honestly, it's yeah. loading boxes of shells for me that I'm. I'm using and and doing very well within the woods, so I don't really I don't need to change anything, but I do yeah. want to learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, it's nice reloading. It's fun and it's nice to just know as long as you have the components on hand, like uh, you know you can load up as many boxes as you as you need to finish the season or something like that. Um, yeah, I got lucky when I happened to get into it. I found a ton of 16 gauge components, so I just like loaded up on it. So I've got I have years worth of uh, 16 gauge stuff to load. I guess powder nice. might be the tough one. I need more powder, but that's always the tough one. But um, yeah, it's it's cool to have and, and know you can just work up some more ammo if you need it. Uh, well, to to complement your collection of your growing collection of vintage guns, we, you did add a uh, a modern Italian side by side that I know a yeah, little bit right. about. Uh, just walk me through kind of what you what you were looking to build there and then just kind of go through the the specs of that gun sort of why you set it up the way you did and you now have yeah. it so yeah no doubt um yeah so well the first thing everyone always that anyone ever asked me is why i did the zeus and not the um venus oh boy what's the a venus yeah i was gonna say athena yep. um was like <laughs> just the the budget that i was working with um and it still has everything that i wanted um i definitely like the look of the, of the venus and everything but um yeah, so I went with the 28 gauge Zeus. Um, 28 was just interesting to me. I shoot 16 a lot. I kind of enjoy shooting like the more odd load, not just like 12 yeah. or 20. Um, so I wanted to go with 28 and being primarily a, a hun, hunter, um, I thought it'd be perfect. Um, <clears throat> talking with you, the weights would pan out kind of to where I want it to be like around six pounds and not be like super, super light, but not be you know heavy or anything. Um, yep. So 30 inch barrels, I did interchangeable chokes, which I remember you trying to talk me out of. Um, so I did interchangeable chokes cause I want to like turkey hunt with it. And, um, and I actually, yeah, I just texted you the other day saying I did change them cause when I was sharp tail hunting, they were getting up really far and I just carry the chokes in my bag and I swapped chokes. Um, I went from IC mod to mod approved mod, uh, and, and started doing really well. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, full coverage engraving case colors, dual triggers um i really just kind of wanted it to look like it would have been kind of a classic like american like a like a yep. cool american gun that you might find um so yeah case colors full full coverage engraving um two triggers i did a straight grip um and orange butt pad i like i've yep. always really liked orange butt pads um i did i think it was grade two and a half 2.5 wood that i did on this one um yeah, and I've really enjoyed it. I did the 30-inch barrel. I'm a taller guy, 6'3", and hunting uh, yep. mostly the prairies and stuff like that, or like the mountains in Montana aren't necessarily thick. So did the 30-inch barrels, and I have a long length of pull and everything, so I feel like it kind of balanced out pretty neatly. I've been yeah. really What's enjoying your length it. of pull, do you recall? Like just over 15 or something? Yeah, I think it's 15 and like 3 sixteenths or something like that. I think, yeah, somewhere okay. around there. Yep. Yeah, um, and you did th- you did your fitting um, at with that gun shop we were talking about, right? Hill Round Gun. Yep, yep. With Charlie there, he's a, a coach and a fitter and stuff. So went out and did a fitting, and, and um, yeah, best I can tell, it fits me really well. I've shot it yeah. uh, like great from from the moment I got it out of the box. Um, love That's it, awesome. Yeah, and twenty eight has been surprising. I, I definitely thought I was going to feel like 
underpowered or undergunned or something if I got in a situation where I was shooting pheasants or shooting sharp tails a little farther out or something like that. Um, I, I mean, still farther out. Yeah, that you know, that's all relative. Um, but I've I've had a great time with it. I got I picked up some just two and three quarter inch sixes uh, and hunted a pheasant spot uh, when I was actually on my way back from a deer hunt and was amazed at how well how how effective it was shooting pheasants with a 28 gauge like it it, i didn't feel like i lost anything going from my 16s um down to the 28 with with shooting them i know like range and all that and you know density technically isn't isn't what it is but uh with a 16 but if you're picking um, your i really enjoyed it you can yeah no doubt i mean you can't be shooting like flushing birds at like 50 yards or something like that like you still have to be yeah taking good shots and all that but um, I didn't, I haven't crippled any, uh, like any of the pheasants I shot on that trip. I didn't cripple or lose anything. They were all pretty well done for when, when the dogs picked them up. Um, same with Huns and sharp tails. It's just, I know there's like a lot of weird, like myth behind the 28, but, um, I have shot it really well, um, and really enjoyed it, especially on Huns. It's, it's exactly what I wanted for, for shooting Huns. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Obviously very fun for me to hear. That I love, you know, going from con- inception to actually finished product, and you getting it and using it in the field. I mean that that never gets old for any of us. Um, yeah, up and gun company, we love love hearing those stories and seeing the guns go into the field. Yep. And the Italians love hearing that too. So oh, that's yeah. cool. I I like the twenty eight gauge for you. Just again, because like you've got this vintage sixteens, and you know a twenty eight gauge is not really something that is uh, a reality for most of us on the vintage oh, market, yes. you know, they just, they didn't make many, the price is exorbitant. So if you're going to go modern and build a side by side with the Italians like that, um, I think 28 gauge makes a ton of sense just to kind of fill in that, fill in that gap and get you a little something different. That's cool. No doubt. Yeah. I am loving it too. I, like I said, I felt like I was going to maybe be giving something up, but man, I feel perfectly fine about shooting. I've shot all, I guess all the species that I've hunted this year, I have shot one or more with the, with the 28 and it's all been perfectly fine and really enjoying it. Glad I went with the 28 and not, I was going back and forth between 28 and 20 and I'm glad I did the 28. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Weirdly enough too, we have um, more 28 available to us than 20. Uh, I, now that I own this LC Smith, that's a 20. I'm realizing how hard it is to find 20 gauge ammo that's loaded because I don't have, uh, like dies and a reloading setup for 20, but man, uh, sure. I, apparently I'm going to have yeah. to get it. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to for a, for a vintage 20 like that. Yep. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be buying shot and powder and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the cool thing too, is a random, uh, reloading thing, the load, since I'm already shooting essentially a 20 gauge load in my 16, right. All my powders, I shoot like a 2028 20, <clears throat> is the powder that I use. So okay. the load that I'm using that I imagine, yeah, that I imagine I will use for my 28 gauge, um, will be 2028. 20, I can use it for the 20 and for the 16 because the 16 gauge load is essentially like a 20. So, um, sure. I can use one powder for those three, three guns and be perfectly fine. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Efficiency. Um, yeah. Oh, I was going to, what, uh, cause I think I asked you this, what does your, 15 inch length of pull, 15 inch plus length of pull, English grip, 30 inch barreled Zeus 28 gauge. What does it weigh? Um, it, it's right call? at six pounds. I put it on a scale. Okay. Um, I've put it, let me, I have a scale sitting right next to me. Um, and the guns ha- happens to be sitting next to me also. Um, <laughs> you practice. I, think your like gun it depends on, I don't know if my, yeah, no, I was just looking at it. Um, I don't know if like my battery is maybe getting low on my scale. This is my, my backcountry hunter. The backcountry hunter in me has a food scale for weighing all my stuff. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> so, um, well right now on the scale, it says six pounds, 0.0 ounces. So six pounds. Okay. It weighs. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Yep. That's uh, you know, again, it's a, it's a, it's, that's heavier than, so my gun is very similar to yours. I have the Venus as we were talking about, and mine is like five pounds, five ounces, so it's like five and a quarter. But um, wow. when you get into that six, six sub six pound range, I mean, for a twenty eight, my next one, I'm actually building a Zeus twenty eight, very similar to yours, mainly because I want a little heavier twenty eight that I will shoot at clays. But also, I'm just thinking, 
Um, I really want to try, now that I've shot a well-fitted kind of featherweight 28 gauge that's five and a quarter pounds, I want to go back and try shooting a 28 that is a little heavier, like five and yeah. a half, five and three, any, anywhere from five and a half to six. Like I don't really care where it's at. Um, I just want to shoot that and just see if I notice anything. Cause my first RFM was a 20 gauge and that was five and three quarter pounds. And that gun I shot as well as any gun I had ever shot before, mainly because it was my first exposure to like a gun that was very well fit to me. So yeah. that was kind of eye opening. Then I went to the 28, this really light 28. And I, I think there was a little bit of a learning curve to shoot that light of a gun. I really like it and I do shoot it really well. But I'm yeah. just kind of curious now to try to try the 28 gauge on a little heavier, heavier, um, heavier 28 gauge. So that'll be that'll be next for me. Yeah, I I think it's a a good. I think around six pounds is like a good weight. It climbing to it, it's kind of hard to get sub six pounds, um, with like a moderate, I guess, budget. Other than like RFM, it seems like. Um, yeah. But like to find a you know sub five pound like vintage gun, or a sub six pound vintage gun is not right. the easiest thing right. to do. Uh, especially with like yeah. a normal person's budget. Um, but yeah, I, I really yeah. enjoyed the weight of it. I, it's the lightest gun I have. So obviously it feels really light to me. Um, but I, I don't find myself like, man, this, I wish this thing was a half a pound lighter or anything like that. And it shoots really well. So I'm happy with the way it, it panned out at six pounds and all the specs. Yeah. Awesome. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. Well, we're I well I got a few more questions that I kind of have yeah. more plans to to get into talking gear and stuff a little bit more. We haven't even we haven't even mentioned the fact that you do work for Sitka Gear and yep. that was one of the other reasons that you and I connected. Obviously, we were talking shotguns first, but um kind of talking late season late season gear and um bouncing some ideas off you and I had been looking for cold weather glove recommendations like a few weeks ago it's funny now because like this season has been like the least need for cold weather stuff because it's been so mild and so warm and so comfortable but i did get so i did this little poll and i I still think i'm uh planning on doing a gear sort of recap thing but i was looking for for cold weather glove recommendations and the one that was recommended the most, I put it up on Instagram, um, was the Sitka Gear Gunner Glove, which I did not have. I have them now. Um, I can see why they're they're recommended. They're not a super insulated glove, but they're a nice leather glove with windproofing, which mm-hmm. based on sort of what, what I deal with in cold weather, kind of I self-diagnosed Renaud's syndrome, uh, where you kind of lose sensation in your fingers and you lose circulation and my fingers go numb and it's just, it's kind of like, it's just annoying. And eventually I can work my way out of it through exertion and exercise. Circulation comes back, but there's this period of suck usually early, early in the hunt that just, uh, basically my fingers are worthless. Like I, I don't even know if I could pull the trigger. I have, I know I've missed birds because of it <laughs> before because I'm fumbling with yeah. my, you know, and I mean, to some extent, like, you know, cold, cold hands, cold, it's part of being outdoors. So like, there's, there's a bit of embrace the suck, but like, what can we, what can we do to improve that? So anyways, you sent me a pair of the gunner gloves, which I really appreciate and have been using yeah. them. I do think those are, that was a key piece for me. Cause I was missing a glove that had decent dexterity, 
but a little bit more of a barrier to the elements. And I think that windproofing, I'd be, I'm curious to your thoughts, and obviously you have some experience with this, um, but how like what, how you think about windproofing, how you utilize it and its value. And maybe as you jump into that, just give us a little background on kind of how you wound up in the field of sort of technical apparel kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I wound up in it, I guess, through um, backcountry hunting. I, you know, do a lot of archery, uh, archery elk hunting and rifle mule deer hunting and stuff. Um, Used to spend, uh, I guess, I used to spend a lot more time backpacking and backcountry hunting than I do now. Um, As of recent years, just with like tag organization of where I have hunts. But anyways, doing a lot of backcountry hunting for a big game Um, and then moving to Montana studying marketing i knew i wanted to work in the hunting and outdoor industry uh and luckily wound my way into like a customer service role at sitka's just kind of like a a foot in the door with the company um and like as i finished my degree ended up moving into marketing and uh in a a little different role in marketing from what i initially started in now but yeah so um i work in marketing for sitka gear um so have a heavy exposure to technical hunting gear every day but yeah so as far as the gloves go, thinking about the gloves, I, and I, you and I talked about this, but I cannot stand wearing gloves. Like I don't like my fingers being covered and like just any loss of dexterity or like having to peel my glove off to like check on X or something like that. Um, yeah, I will like wear no glove and then I will wear gunner gloves. Um, cause I really, I really like them. I think they're about as, as warm as a shooting glove can get without being, um, like cumbersome to use like you can't flip your safety anymore yeah. and you can't really feel your triggers or something like that um and the wind stopper in there definitely just keeping wind off of your skin keeping wind off your fingers is definitely going to be uh, a huge help in, in keeping them warm it's going to be the, like the main thing that like saps heat from people is the wind um but yeah so do you want do you want me to get into like uh, like tech, like technical clothing and stuff, or where where do you want me? Yeah, to go, yeah. Let's let's go let's go into that. But I just I just want to throw in like I think you, you're kind of nailing the and most people I would maybe be familiar with this. Like that's the sort of the the trick with shooting gloves is you you know it's it gets cold. You want some insulation and warmth on your fingers, but there's a limit to like we can't just wear big puffy glassing mitts or something yeah you you have to be able to use your shotgun and manipulate it and so that's where we have this problem that arises in the field and for me i would say that even it like kind of exacerbates it like you would think okay nick you got really cold hands just get some really you know shoot a single trigger gun put your leave your double go double trigger gun at home and (laughs) bring a single trigger gun and get some big mitts and that might work but but honestly what i find is the way that that I sort of struggle with this Renaud is like the circulation. If I put on like big, thick fingered gloves, like any pressure around my fingers, I feel like honestly just makes it worse. Like it just really? it even cuts off the circuit. Yeah. So even if it's like, and I'm not saying I've tried every option out there. Like one thing I, and and you would you'd be able to speak to this. I really like Prima Loft insulation. I feel like that is, mm-hmm kind of changed the game and it's i know it's a higher end um insulation it's very light that doesn't it's not real dense it's just like this really light fluffy insulation so uh, i'm always curious if i see items and whether it's gloves or anything that uses primaloft ins- insulation I've, i just find that stuff to be excellent so like maybe there's a glove like that but i i think what i'm realizing is kind of like what you're saying you know the gunner glove with the windproofing and just a nice leather layer, you know, you can only get so warm before you kind of defeat the whole purpose of a shooting glove. Yeah. They're tough. And that's like the main reason that I don't like usually wear shooting gloves. I run like ultra hot too. So, um, yeah, I have the exact opposite problem of you is like, I am, (laughs) if I'm moving, I'm hot and I'm probably sweating. So like managing moisture is like, like being sweat. Um, is my biggest challenge with hunting gear. I, have the, I don't have to try and keep myself warm very often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the, and and again, that's one of the things I love about upland hunting. It's an active, it's an active sport, and right. you really. Um, I don't struggle too often with having like, you know, my core and stuff is not cold. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't suffer from the cold other than my extremities, my fingers, basically. But um, to your point 
big game kind of like those folks tend to lean into a little bit more of the technical field apparel and that kind of stuff. And that has, you know, that has fueled the innovation in that industry that then can sort of trickles down and upland hunting. I would say there's less focus on that, but more and more we sort of, you know, we have exposure to both worlds. Obviously you big game hunt, you upland hunt. So naturally there's going to be some crossover in that gear. And I think there's definitely some stuff that, can we can pull from that world and utilize certain products to really improve our experience um which i have certainly done over the years my my gear and apparel has changed kind of slowly but surely into more technical stuff Um, but i would say like you said my main priority outside of this little finger issue is basically moisture management making Mm -hmm. sure that that we're we're breathing and getting rid of heat and moisture so that we don't get soaking wet out there. Cause that, that can ruin your day in a hurry. Definitely. Like the key to managing most of that is, uh, and just like hunting gear in general, more so in like the, the big game world and like the backcountry pursuits and stuff is like, you hear it a lot with like systems thinking or like building a clothing system. Um, mm-hmm. so having multiple layers to, to your your clothing system uh i think is the key to manage heat and manage moisture for sure um you'll see a lot of stuff uh about like eight piece clothing systems and stuff like that of like defining the eight different pieces of gear that you should have with you on on most all big game hunts um we don't need to like get too deep into that because a lot of it doesn't apply to um up one hunting just because you know you're usually doing like maybe a half day a full day at longest uh, and you're back at your truck and you're drying out and you're, you know, in a camper or in yeah. a hotel room or something and you're, or back home. Um, so it's not as important there as far as like compared to like the backcountry world where you're, you might not have something to dry your clothes out. Like your, your body is going to have to dry your clothes out as you sleep. Um, right. But systems thinking can definitely still apply to upland hunting. Um, starting with like being like a, a base, a mid and an outer layer. Um, a lot of times I don't run like true base layers, uh, on like most upland days. Um, just cause I, like I said, I run so hot, but some kind of like synthetic or Merino to, um, move moisture away from your skin, um, is really important. I think one of the, I, I underlined it when I was thinking about, uh, gear for upland hunting is like stop wearing cotton stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. people all too often have like, you know, cotton long johns or just wear a cotton t-shirt they might have like a perfectly technical mid layer outer layer and they have a cotton shirt underneath of it. That's just like really making it hard for that technical outerwear piece to do its job because the cotton is just saturated with sweat or, or moisture if it's raining or something. Um, so like getting away from cotton in a lot of things I think is, is pretty important. Um, as far I, as just staying, that's a funny one. I, I wonder like how prevalent that is. And I, I learned, or at least somebody instructed me to ditch the cotton way back when I was like, I don't know, 14, 15 going on Canadian fishing (laughs) trips. And we'd go up there and we'd go up there in May. And sometimes it would, you know, a couple trips we'd have, you know, where it's like raining for two, three days straight. And like, we didn't, you know, my dad knew the outdoors and, and to a certain extent, but it was like, we're two young boys and we're going out there fishing and we're you know, we're wearing hand-me-downs, whatever. But mm-hmm. the guy that we went with, I remember he was like huge on merino wool and he's like, you do not wear cotton. And this is, you know, back a ways when I was, yeah. when I was younger, but that just always stuck with me. And so from that point forward, I pretty much have ditched cotton in all of my outdoor pursuits as much as humanly possible. Um, yep. and it's, you re- very rarely find me wearing anything that's cotton if I'm actually hunting or, or doing that. And, and I think that's a huge, huge piece. So if anybody hasn't um, done that or tried that, uh, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, no doubt. It's going it, to, it just, cotton, it it soaks in water. It doesn't dry fast. It's just being wet yeah. equals being cold. Um and man, I remember like some early days of like tromping around in the woods with like blue jeans on and like your legs will yeah. chafe and it's just like, man, it's uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, like synthetics or merino wools or any, any kind of wool, I suppose, um, is better than cotton. But, uh, 
yeah, that's that's got to be the key. key. Cotton socks too. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when the last time I put a cotton sock on my foot was, but yeah, like merino or synthetics or something just help with your feet. Yeah, uh, so much. Yep. Um, but as cotton far as also like stretches and and it doesn't really doesn't really rebound. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to not not like about it. You know, it doesn't rebound yeah. until you wash it. That kind of thing. And yeah. I mean, I think it used to just be. It was very available. Obviously, we have most of us probably have lots of cotton in our wardrobe and closet. So mm-hmm. you kind of you kind of just wear this stuff. But I would say now. Um, you know, the popularity of sort of synthetic and athletic fabrics and gear. I think, yeah. I think like the education level is, is up quite a bit on that stuff. And the, again, it doesn't have to be, you know, a hundred dollar shirt or this, like there, there's, right. it's pretty readily available now, um, and affordable to have sort at least synthetic stuff. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, even in just like general athletic wear, it's, you're not going to see much cotton, athletic stuff anymore but um yeah do you want me to kind of go through like i guess how i maybe like a like assess conditions and and like pick what i what i would run yeah yeah i think that i think that would be that's kind of what i was thinking um and like you know if you want to use a day for an example like if it's going to be you know 30 degrees or like how you how do you approach it yeah so like yeah right now that's about the conditions of what we have which is odd for october in montana but um yeah. Usually to start with like checking, checking weather, see how cold it's going to be, how windy it's going to be, um, and how it's going to warm up once the sun comes up and it's, you know, midday. Um, yeah. wind is definitely one that I pay a lot of attention to just for bird hunting in general, but also what I'm going to wear, um, kind of getting into the wind stopper thing, uh, that I'll get to. But, um, I think another key is just like, it, I mentioned this, but wearing, layers and not having like one big insulated jacket that you either have it on or you have it off and now you're wearing your base layer t-shirt or something maybe um right having having like a system of layers is is important and and managing your warmth uh and moisture for sure um starting cold is definitely a key Uh, you know everybody's everybody's guilty of this it's like i'm comfortable in the truck i've got my jacket on i've got the heat on it feels cold outside so i'm gonna keep all this gear on i'm gonna put another jacket on and you take like you get like a hundred yards out of the truck and you're like, man, I'm pretty hot. Just layering yep. down, uh, starting cold and then layering down. If you feel hot or if you feel cold, just change the layers. Just take the time to do it. I think it's, I, I get too stubborn about it. I'll start climbing and be like, oh, it's fine. It's not that far. Like I'll, I'll just get up this couple hundred feet and it'll plane out and I'll, I'll cool back down. But I don't, I just run super hot and I end up then all you're, sweaty. Then and, you're soaking wet and you know, yeah, you then know. you're wet and it's like, now I've got to manage this and I've got to try and dry out to stay warm. It, like I said, more so in the big game world where I'm going to sit down in, in glass for hours or something like that. I'm just sitting there still expose the elements, but upland being yep. more of an active, uh, you know, I, I guess all forms of upland hunting really are, are active pursuits. So you're hiking around, uh, exerting, exerting yourself, you know, creating, some sweat and some moisture and some heat but um yeah so check the weather um just knowing how you run is important too like most guys on a 30 degree day will dress differently than i will on a 30 degree day just because like i said i run really warm but um starting with base layers is like what do i need to initially i guess just like as, as far as like the order of operations of how you'd put your clothes on starting with like base layers i usually run like a synthetic or a merino like boxer of some kind there's a million good brands out there that make them. Um, yeah, I would stick to one of those two. If you're a really, if you are a guy that runs really warm and you know, you sweat a lot, synthetics are going to be easier to dry out. Merino keeps you a little bit more, uh, a little warmer while it's wet. Um, and it manages like odor and things better. But, um, yeah, as far as a guy that's like really sweaty and you're, you're like constantly dealing with sweat as a problem, uh, synthetics in my opinion are are like that's my choice typically um most folks don't have that issue so like merino wool ends up being a perfectly fine option for them um but so like 30 degree day i would wear like a a synthetic boxer um a synthetic or a merino top uh like a t-shirt usually or like a long sleeve crew neck um and then i run it's actually kind of like a earlier season um big game pant that i wear a lot to have they have side zips so uh, like hip vents okay. if you're familiar with like yep. you know a, a yep. lot of big game brands have those i guess most of them have those now 
um, to where you can open those zippers up and dump heat. I run a pant like that. It's kind of like a lighter to midweight pant, um, still a pretty durable pant. It's nylon outer face. So like, um, burrs don't stick to it and it's, it doesn't get ripped up real easy. So I run kind of like a midweight pant, um, over like my base layer for a top, depending on the day, if it's like a pretty chill day and I know I'm, I know I'm just going for a short hunt and it's not going to like get real windy or like the conditions aren't going to be like real trying or anything. I like to wear like Pendleton flannels. Uh, it's wool. Um, still get to kind of like maintain like a little bit of like the upland style, I guess. Um, yeah. And I'll wear like a a Pendleton wool shirt or something. Yeah. There's like varying weights of them. So like, I think that's a great option if you're, if you like to, you know, dress that way when you're, when you're bird hunting or, or look that way. Um, I think Pendleton or like any wool, I guess still send in those different brands all make like wool flannels and stuff like that. But on a day where it's like mountain hunting, I don't do it as much. Like if I'm hunting duskies where I know I'm going to climb like 1500 feet or something, I'm going to be like really putting in some work. I wear like an active mid layer. So how you were talking about like Prima Loft, um, active insulations are pretty popular nowadays with like Prima Loft, uh, evolve, I guess, I think it's called, um, or like a grid fleece. Like you'll see them from any brand like Patagonia, you're like Orvis and, and, and pretty much every brand has like a, a grid fleece hoodie. Um, what makes something an, what makes it active insulation? Yeah. So, um, boy, our product folks would be really mad at me if I, if I butchered this. Um, so like there's active, (laughs) like as far as insulations go, there's like active and statics. So like statics would be insulations for when you're not moving. So like, um, sitting in a stand, sitting glassing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Down, down in like the big game world is a big one. Like really great at keeping you warm traps a ton of body heat um but not going to be great when you start producing moisture um it's not going to manage moisture real well where an active insulation can still manage that moisture and and get it away from your body uh and and essentially stay dry as you wear it um being the difference between active and and a static insulation um being like um like i said like those grid fleeces are probably the most common type that you'll see people wearing um, those have been the standard for a really long time. Um, that's a great option for a mid layer or, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to like name too many products and just make it sound like it's an ad or something, but, um, yeah, things that use like Prima Loft evolved or evolve insulations are great. Um, that's like kind of like lofted stuff that you mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, you can still hike in it. You can still sweat in it. It's not just going to be trapping a ton of moisture and, and just like absolutely trapping heat against your body. Um, good for active pursuits where you're hiking around being up and hunting um and then like if it's going to be a really windy day i will bring like a windstopper shell or some kind of uh yeah windstopper is like a, a a laminate technically is what makes it stop the wind um so like windstopper there's other other technologies out there that essentially achieve the same thing um just to keep wind yep. off of me because like wind is gonna especially on like a really windy cold day here in montana where it's like you know 20 miles an hour and it might be 10 is like zero to 10 degrees or something uh some wind is going to make it really miserable so like a lightweight wind stopper shell or a shell that has some kind of laminate in it to stop stop the wind is is really important um a lot of times i'll carry those on my bag so like when i was just grouse hunting the other day um started low went way up high to like 15 uh, climbed like 1500 feet up to like i guess it was about like 8,000 feet of elevation in the mountains I was hot the the way up, you know, had no, I was all the way down to my base layer t-shirt, um, got to the top and I had had like a light wind stopper shell on my vet, just attached to my vest and actually had a flannel in my bag too. Threw my clothes on to go back down. Cause now I'm not like working real hard. Um, so like, yeah. that's kind of where the layering system thing comes in is like, I had two other layers to put on when I got to the top and I started coming down. I was just cruising my way back down the elevation. Um, so yeah, ran, ran that shell on my bag the way up. Um, and so that's like the, so the, the base layer, mid layer, outer layer is kind of like the general like scheme of layers that you might need to have up on hunting. And yep. you can kind of, you can kind of like mold those depending on the conditions. You know, you can obviously have a really light base layer, or if it's a really cold day, you can like go up in weight of your base layer, like a heavier weight. Um, same with mid layers. You could go from like a grid fleece. They might be like a, a thinner, like lighter insulation up to like a heavier active insulation or something like you can kind of just like bend those different things um where you can have like relatively few pieces 
Um, but you can do a lot with those different items. Like if you have, you know, yeah. a, a few different options of tops, you can kind of mix and match them and, and end up getting a lot, a lot out of those few items. But, um, yeah, I think the layering thing is important. I see a lot of folks, um, they have like one good jacket. I, I get it. Like technical hunting gear is expensive. Like not everybody can just buy yeah. a bunch of pieces of, of technical hunting gear. So they go for like one warm jacket cause you want to be warm. Right. Um, so now you've got like an insulated windstopper or like a Gore-Tex or, or some kind of, uh, you know, waterproof laminate shell. And that thing is warm, like it's hot. And now, yeah, like it might be a moderate day of upland hunting and they've got their jacket for deer hunting, but they're going to wear it regardless. Like that's their good, that's a good hunting jacket. So they're going to put it on, but it's just way too right. hot for the application. It's not going to breathe real well. And they're just going to end up sweating out. And it's like, well, now I'm really hot. I need to fully unzip this thing or just take it off. Now I'm sweaty and exposed to like kind of cold temperatures. And it's just going to end up not yeah. being all that great. So layering systems, I think, are are generally really important uh, in in all, not even hunting pursuits, just out, outdoor pursuits. Right? If you're like you know, a hiker, or a backpacker, or a trail runner or something like that. Um, layering systems are are key to success in, in clothing. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. That's a that's a good breakdown. I, w- if you had to kind of summarize it, like kind of what I'm gleaning, and I guess what I would echo, it's like basically choose your materials, and then, and then you know, smart layering. Yep, yep. Assessing conditions too, like not just going out with way too warm a gear when you know it's going to be 40 sure. degrees, something like that. Like, yep. yeah, I might feel cold. It might be 20 in the morning, and it's going to warm up. So, not not necessarily dressing yep. for 20, but but dressing for 40, um, just knowing that it's going to come maybe. Yeah. Without putting well, yourself in like an uncomfortable situation, right? You know, not being, right, you don't want to be miserable right. when it is 20, but have it be, uh, you know, passable. Exactly. Yeah. If that 30 degree mark is kind of, I feel like that's kind of a tipping point. Uh, I don't know if it has anything to do with it being around freezing or to sort, you know, like above 30. I mean, I don't have to think too hard about it. I know I'm going to be able to kind of get worked up into a point where I'm going to be comfortable out there. Um, yeah. below 30, you know, you get below 30, get into the twenties, you know, add a little wind. Wind is not nearly a fa- as big a factor for me in my grouse hunting as it would be for you out there. So it's not always a top concern. I mean, if it's really, if, if it was really cold, like I would say if it's in the teens and real windy, like I might just not be going hunting that day, honestly. And that's part yeah. of my, I, I can, I can sort of hunt when I want to hunt. Um, I have a little bit more flexibility. I don't have to go on Saturday, Sunday weekend. So I'm, I'm lucky in that way. But, um, you know, if I was out, you know, you can't choose to, to not hunt out in the wind out, out West. So I think <laughs> yeah. like, I have some wind, I have some wind stopper stuff and that definitely comes in handy because a wind stopper, you can wear a little bit lighter jacket. It doesn't have to be packed full of insulation, but if you cut mm-hmm. that wind, you at least kind of maintain that bubble around your body, which I think is really helpful. Yeah. And having like a, a lot of windstopper jackets will have like an armpit zipper in them. So you can, you can open them up and dump heat. Um, the cool thing with jackets like that too, I guess one more thing like to mention is like DWR, uh, durable water repellent treatments that go on the fabrics, having something that is like a DWR treated. If it's, if it's not like raining on you, like actively pouring, like it, it hardly ever rains here in Montana. If it's raining, most people probably aren't bird hunting. Um, just having like a little bit of a water repellent on, on clothing is really important. If you're brushing up against like, you know, whatever, uh, yeah, like you got brush on has, grass has on dew on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, just keeping that water so that water doesn't just soak right into whatever, you know, like maybe mid layer or base layer you have, um, definitely going to help yep. keep moisture off of you. DWR is a, a, a great thing to have in a mid layer and outer layer. No doubt. You won't really see it in base layers a lot much. Um, but uh, yeah, mid layers and outer layers for sure. It's good, and it's just like nobody really wants to walk around in a rain jacket. Um, their rain gear is kind of expensive. It's not the most comfortable thing to wear, and uh, they're yeah. like fairly fragile. So like wearing them around is usually not people's first thing that they want to do. Um, so DWR will like kind of fill that gap um, without having to wear a rain jacket around. Yeah. Good stuff, uh, man. The other thing, I mean, we're all benefiting from, I guess, the advancement in sort of technical gear is like we've got good sort of good fitting gear, you know, good athletic yeah. performance gear. I appreciate that. I remember back, you know, like getting geared up 
to do some like like duck hunting or whatever whatever I was doing with my dad. You know, it was like kind of old school. Like we would have you like we go buy something. It's like well, you got to get an XL jacket so we can layer underneath. <laughs> you know, just stuff that thing yeah. full. And I just remember swimming in in some of my old old hunting clothes. And now you can kind of you know you can get the right stuff and and have it be a little bit more form fitting so you don't have clothes hanging off you. <laughs> yeah, still shoulder your shotgun efficiently and all exactly that, you know, yes. hanging up. yeah 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 you got no three doubt. inches of jacket you change your change <laughs> yeah. your length of pull a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah i feel that just with waterfowl hunting like i don't waterfowl hunt much anymore but i i went this last weekend for the first time in a few years i was like god i feel like i got a lot of clothes on because they're just you know sitting still in the duck blind <laughs> so i brought a bunch of yeah. clothes and i'm like gosh this is going to be difficult <laughs> but yeah cool man well um well okay i'll give you a a second here to this is your chance to shamelessly plug. Um, you do work for Sitka Gear. Like, if you have any, what are kind of your like your go-to items that you find yourself wearing most of the time when you're up and hunting? Um, yeah, core, yeah, core lightweight. This the series uh, is our of our base layers is called core lightweight. There's uh, synthetics, I guess, are truly called the core lightweight series, and then there's um, like the Merino 120 series is like the equivalent of a lightweight. Um, Okay. I wear a core lightweight uh, top like all the time. In some variation, big game hunting, I wear it's a long sleeve hoodie. I always have one of those when I'm big game hunting. Upland hunting, I find myself wearing like the crew neck long sleeve or the crew neck short sleeve a lot. Um, it's a great, just a, a awesome base layer to go with. That's um, gonna you can apply it to any type of hunting you do if you're if you're a deer hunter also. Um, it's not like you're buying an upland specific product that you're only going to wear for upland hunting. You can, like, I, I run in them and stuff. Uh, they're great. That's a really good one. Uh, the like Jetstream jacket is a super popular item. It can be used on most hunts, other than with the exclusion of like an early like like an August or September hunt. You might not need it out west. Um, Windstopper lightly inflated. Uh, pit zippers uh dwr treated it's really water resistant not truly waterproof because it's not like a, a gore-tex laminate or a waterproof laminate but has windstopper in it yeah. that's an awesome piece that you can kind of use on most hunts also um those are some killer ones the ambient series um there's like varying weights depending on how cold or hot you run ambient hoodies uh, are like on the lighter end uh, of insulation like weight um that's a great piece. Like those, those three things I usually have with me. Um, those are all awesome pieces that if a guy was looking to buy like a couple things from, from sick gear, those are all pieces that you couldn't really go wrong with. They're kind of like fan favorites can be put in any hunting situation and, and work really well. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, appreciate that information. Uh, good yeah. to pick your brain on that stuff a little bit. And again, I, um, I, I still am kind of planning on doing this little gear episode, so I'll maybe dive into yeah. it a little bit more. But I did did want to mention that um, when I did my poll, the uh, the Sitka Gunner gloves were were the top recommend for cold weather shooting gloves, and awesome. Um, so far, my experience with them has been been very positive. So sweet. I'm glad people are digging them. Did you uh, did you cut the thumb pad off like I, I told you I do with mine? I, I haven't no, but I but I saw <laughs> I saw exactly what you were talking about when I got yep. it. Um, it's I didn't have. I didn't have any issues. I uh, actually, so the first day, I think I was telling you this, I went out and uh, I killed I killed two rough grouse the first day I wore them. So I, maybe they're good luck uh, nice. or maybe they're just, they just do the job. I, my, my first hunt with them was good. But now, yeah. I, I mean, you, honestly, my last hunt that I went out on, it was 40 degrees or 45 degrees and sunny. So I, I, uh, I wasn't feeling the, the need to wear them, but I will again probably here before the season's out. Yep. Awesome, man. Yeah, they're uh, they're a great glove. I wear them a bunch uh, as it is, but yeah, I, I don't know. I like I said, I, I can't stand wearing gloves as it is. So like having seeing like a second <laughs> layer of leather, I'm like I could take that off and I can move my safety a little better. Not that I had any issues with it before. I just need being weird and like gonna yeah. screw with stuff that someone put a bunch of effort into making really nice, and then here I am at home cutting it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, did you did you cook those huns with the skin on yet, or or not yet? I haven't yet. No, I, okay. I'm planning on it this week. I'm excited to try it. Cause I, yeah, you obviously saw the video. My, my wild game yep. cooking is 
very underdeveloped and I don't explore into new stuff very often. So I, uh, I need to, so I'm excited to try those guys. I smiled when I saw that because I'm kind of the same. Like I just, I don't know. I'm just not that experimental when it comes to stuff. I stick to what I yeah. like. And, um, but I, that said, I have in the last couple of weeks, I did pluck a few rough grouse, um, entirely with the skin on. And I've been kind of working on doing some, trying some different roasts. And, um, I did one last night with like a, a butter rub, um, kind of softened up some butter and mixed it with this um, actual butter garlic dry rub mm. and smeared that all over it and cooked it. And my son and I, my five-year-old and I, we ate that and he said it was very good. So I, for me, it was, it was really good, but it was my first attempt. So immediately I was like, Oh, I know how I could do this better next time. Yeah. But I really did. I really did like it. So yeah, I might have to pick your brain on the rough grouse stuff. The, unfortunately the two birds that I shot were, pretty shot up. I wanted to try and keep them plucked yeah. and keep them whole, but they were, they were a little bit shot up. So they ended up just getting yeah. breasted and, and kept the legs and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to pick your brain on how to cook them because haven't cooked yeah, them rough grouse before. I mean, it's, I, I, I have not um, done a whole lot of the, the plucking in the past, but I've obviously been curious about it and it's, I don't know. It's interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad I'm doing it now. Um, there's definitely something there and yeah, rough grouse legs. I mean, the thighs on rough grouse are really good. Um, yeah. even if you, however you're cooking them, it's just like an, a nice extra morsel. Uh, but yeah, that's, I, I'm in a, the same spot. I'm trying to, I'm trying to push the envelope a little bit with my wild game, wild game cooking. Yeah. There's lots of good resources for doing that. <laughs> there you go. Podcast idea. There you go. How yep. To, yep. How to, well, how to not we'll have... just fry your upland birds. <laughs> that's all I do. I bread <laughs> exactly. and fry them. Yeah, how to do yeah. something new. All right, buddy. Well, appreciate awesome. all of the time today. Um, I will I'll I'll throw your, your social media handle in the uh in the show notes if anybody wants to ping you on shotguns or sitka gear or anything like that. But appreciate yep. it. It was fun, fun catching up with you. Good luck the rest of the way, the rest of your season. And uh yeah, man, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. All right, buddy, hang on with me for just a second. That does it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.